0: Should we be focusing on megawatts or should we be focusing on people that's the linchpin i want to say in all of this is if we aren't focusing on the individual then we're going to miss a lot
1: hi there everybody Uh, this is solar for all podcast focused on the intersection of race class justice and equity and the clean energy industry, where we're all hard at work trying to solve global problems. Um, I'm your host, Jeff Greenfield, and I want to first off mention that the show notes and lots of other great resources in all of our past episodes are all available at the website solarforall.show. So that's solarforall, one word, dot S-H-O-W. Um, I am excited to introduce our guest today with me is Olivia Ned. Olivia is the policy director for the access and equity programs at Vote Solar. Um, Many of you all are familiar with Vote Solar. They're a fantastic uh, nonprofit that's been doing really important work in our industry since 2002 um olivia has got her uh, bachelor's from the university of central florida and she earned a jd at howard university school of law she's worked with a variety of organizations um, before joining the vote solar team and i am super excited to talk to you today about all these issues and, and the important work that you're doing with vote solar welcome to the show olivia
0: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and talk about some of these really important issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do a little background real quick. Before you worked for Vote Solar, you were working for the Florida Conservation Voters on some transportation issues with electric school buses. I'm curious about that. It seems like maybe you're into access and equity before they became kind of the current buzzwords that they are. Uh, did some of that experience turn into your position at Vote Solar?
0: Yeah. So I started out doing um, community organizing down in um, Miami in the South Florida area with Florida Conservation Voters. And the focus of that work was really, how do we get electric school buses into low-income and communities of color? So the Volkswagen, Volkswagen had that big scandal where they had to like give money to states to um to mitigate the the actions that they took and so what I was really advocating for was can we take those Volkswagen mitigation funds and apply them to electric school buses and then be even more specific about making sure that they're in communities that need them the most so these are low income communities down in Miami Dade that have really high rates of asthma among their children and they have real health issues that they're facing and an electric school bus could really mitigate some of those challenges that they were facing so it was really awesome to not only just get into like electric transportation, but to really learn about the intersectionality of something like transportation, that there's health issues, there's housing issues, there's so much more that we weren't thinking about that we needed to be thinking about. And so that transformed into Vote Solar in a very interesting way. I was giving a presentation to a a group of um, community members and they had tons of questions about, well, what happens if my electricity goes out and we have this school bus? How can we use this school bus as a resiliency hub for our community? And so that really sparked my interest in terms of how do we think bigger about something like storage on a school bus or solar? And how do we really think about Who's benefiting from it? It's really hard to get electric school buses into these communities. So how do we how do we do it? How do we really think about it in an equitable way and then also bring those individuals to the table?
1: Wow, yeah, intersectionality indeed. plus technology overlap. So you you mentioned obviously electrification of transport and air quality and asthma. Uh, but then there's also that whole issue of V2G. Vehicle to grid storage and the value of that, and who who gets the benefits for the value of that? Um, how it all it's 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 evolving right now. I mean, that's cutting edge policy stuff that maybe we're going to be watching over the next five years.
0: Oh yeah, and like I think the thing that we really have to think about is when we bring these kinds of technologies into these communities. What kind of relationship do they have with them? How do they understand these technologies? How have they interacted with them before? and if we aren't also thinking about that, how do we like how do we make this thing work and grow and really support community members and so that's also another really important thing I I've thought about too
1: Wow, yeah, well, let's get into that um and I don't want to limit it to the, the school boss project and, and what you were doing before float. solar let's, let's broaden it up and, and get everybody up to speed to where you're at today. Tell us a little bit about the, the actual access and equity program I, I saw on the, the vote solar website, you know, vote solar has five policy focuses and this is one fifth of, of the, 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 you know, the, the foundation of what vote solar is focused on. Uh, right up there with grid modernization and you know, rooftop community and utility scale solar. So in some ways, that's, uh, that's surprising. In some ways, it's appropriate. Um, was, it, was it something new or has Vote Solar been focused on this intersectionality piece for, for quite a while?
0: This is something new, and I think it's something new for the industry as a whole. Um, at Vote Solar, something we've been really tossing around is this question of: should we be focusing on megawatts or should we be focusing on people? And I think that's the real thing that's gonna—that's the—that's the linchpin. I want to say in all of this is, if we aren't focusing on the individual, then we're gonna miss a lot. And so, for me at the on the access and equity team, what we do is kind of twofold. We do a mix of partnerships work and a bit of policy, a lot of policy, actually. And so what we're doing is we're really drilling down into community needs on the access and equity team. So we serve as a central focal point for the whole organization, and they can reach out to us if they need um, research or tools on how do you connect, how do you build deeper relationships what are the best practices as it relates to access and equity? So doing that deep work on things like energy burden, um, even like deferred maintenance um, on houses, Single-family homes who can't put solar on, can't put rooftop solar on, they have a lot of deferred maintenance. So how are we addressing something like that? Energy efficiency, um, housing challenges? So our team really just does the whole gamut of access and equity, but we're really working to become experts in this space since this is so new, and it's, it's really time for us to think about everybody as a whole, be more people-centered, if I could say.
1: Well, that sounds about right. Um, so, you've been there for two years. Um, what have you learned? Is it something that you know? Obviously, you're you're getting up to speed quickly on solar. You're getting up to speed quickly on policy and some of the connections and network that vote Solar has. But now you're running this program. What are some of the the things that you've learned in the your time there that maybe have surprised you or that might be Um, useful for our listeners to know in, in their worlds.
0: Yeah, I came to this space. So before I did my work at Florida Conservation Voters, I did criminal justice work. So this was like a completely new space. Solar and energy was just brand new. And something that was really surprising to me was how dense and technical this information is and how inaccessible it is. I had a really steep learning curve trying to understand not just energy burden, but rate design and things like distributed generation. These are concepts and topics that aren't meant for the everyday person to understand or really get their fingers deep in the weeds on. And so I was really surprised when I got to this space at the lack of community groups who are showing up at the table. I was surprised at how little advancement has been made in terms of community engagement and how far we have to go. And if you look at other areas or sectors like criminal justice, like procedural justice is something that's really important in that space. How do we take something like that and also make it important here too? So we want to, I want, like I was surprised to see not enough engagement, but then I was also really surprised to see that the processes that have been created to engage in this process are so difficult, so then now community groups cannot participate, or they have a more difficult time getting involved or making their voices heard.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot, a lot that you just said there. So let's back up a minute and unpack this. I want to focus on one thing that uh, you know some of our listeners that are you know solar wonks and have been policy following policy for years, um, you know, totally get. Um, but you mentioned rate. Rate design. And, you know, at the end of the day, each state and within each state, each utility, there's lots of rules and regulations that impact solar and how the economics of solar work and whether or not solar is kind of harder to get for the individual or easier to get for the individual. And then, in, I don't know, maybe I'm cynical. I'll, okay, I'll admit it. I'm cynical. These, these uh, policies have been kind of written by the folks that benefit the most for years and years, and um, it's boring stuff. It's like cross your eyes, policy wonkish stuff. It's not really accessible, and a lot of people are not familiar with it. And so therefore, the back rooms, the people go in there, lobbyists, and they kind of hammer out rate shapes and policies that benefit the status quo and benefit the the monopoly utilities, mostly um, historically, um, and slow down change. Now, is that too cynical or is that maybe painting a, a broad picture of what's happened over the last 25 years.
0: I think you're exactly on target. <laughs> and I don't think it's too cynical because that's the reality that we live in. And we have to be honest about what things look like now in order for us to make the change down the road. And, and I've seen like down here in Florida, for example, FPL, our um, utility company down here in South Florida, they just went through a rape case. And they, we, they were able we were able to bring on a community group, the Clio Institute, and they were able to come in and participate in this really co- this complex rate design process and all of the challenges that they face in terms of getting up to speed and how do you how do you negotiate how do you do settlement discovery expert witnesses that is very difficult. community groups who have never done it before so i don't think you're not cynical at all like that's the reality of it but we have to really work hard to make the change so more groups like Clio can participate in something like a rate case
1: got it okay so the it's a it's a david versus goliath kind of situation where everything's kind of stacked in favor of the status quo and the powers that be and what you're looking at right now is how to get a more diverse bunch of interested parties, the actual people, you mentioned people earlier, the actual people whose lives are impacted by these policies or these, you know, rate cases or other kinds of decisions, get them engaged and get them involved and get them to the table. Is that is that kind of fair to say what you're focused on or part of what you're focused on?
0: Yes, that's been, that has been a, a big chunk of my focus last year and going into this year is a lot of these decisions are being made and they impact us directly. Me turning on my light switch and I don't have the ability to give input on how energy efficiency is delivered to my home or how I receive these programs, that's kind of really unfair. And so We need more groups who have direct connections with the community, who know what their challenges are in terms of meeting their energy needs and and supplying their basic needs to speak up on our behalf. And so showing up at these public utility commissions is absolutely critical. Um, for the communities uh, that need the help
1: got it so you mentioned the the was it the Clio group or a group I don't even know if that's an acronym or named after somebody is that one of the groups that you're talking about that's already invested in the community has trust with the community
0: yeah so the Clio the Clio Institute um, it stands for climate leadership engagement opportunities they're a, a group down here in South Florida and they really focus on doing climate education um, in schools and lit- climate literacy for adults, and they really do good mobilization. But what they were hearing a lot of were this need for more to be done in terms of how rates are being designed in Florida. And so they intervened. And this was their first time intervening in a docket. And they were up against a mountain of challenges that they had to face on their own with the support of of other partners but these utility companies they are the goli- they are the goliath they have the money the access the experts the witnesses the modeling they have all of these tools at their disposal that a lot of community groups just don't have and then there's also the time it takes for them to have to catch up and learn how do you do a rate design what are the components of it and so those all of those things together you really do create a picture of a David and a Goliath where it's just a real struggle for community groups to get input in on these dockets. Yeah.
1: Well, struggle is uh, a word that applies to a lot of different parts of our lives and a lot of good things happen only because folks like you and others are, are engaged in the struggle and, and making them happen. So what is the, what, what are some of the components of the struggle right now? You're, you know, rate design or these docket interventions are are one of the tactics or one of the, the pathways. But big picture, why does it matter? How does it fit into the whole concept of access and equity?
0: That's a good question. It fits in because we are all part of this global world. We're all part of this community and we all should have a say and a voice in how these decisions are impacting us. And when you don't get a say and you don't get a voice, your power is stripped from you. And what we want to see is we want to see communities empowered to make knowledge, to make informed decisions about how they receive their energy and how they're paying how they're paying for it too. So I think like we really, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And what I think in terms of policy that needs to happen, big, big, big line is we need to break down some of these silos that exist. There's a lot of community groups who have input and knowledge, and there's just not the connection being made that they should be at the table. So groups like housing, housing authority groups, multifamily buildings are really important for this, this transition. How are we bringing their voices to the table? Breaking, in terms policies continued on breaking down silos, we need to think about all of these other areas. Jobs is a really big thing that I think about all the time is how are we making sure that we're creating a just transition but also one that really helps support families, gives them good-paying jobs, health care, all of these things that we want to see for 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 families. So there's a there's a lot in terms of the silos that we need to break down that could lead to so many other greater outcomes um, for households.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've talked uh, with some other guests on this uh, podcast about just that about how much overlap there is just within solar, you know, to to shrink it from clean energy, broad brush to just solar. You know, solar can impact climate change and carbon, but it also is an incredible tool for job creation and uh, economic justice and and looking at the poverty issues of endemic, systemic, uh, generational poverty. Um, Is that when you're talking about breaking down silos, are you talking about maybe uh, these groups that one group might not be really focused on climate or on carbon, but they might have some allies if they if they looked across the the silo uh wall
0: oh yeah if we if you take a look at something I've been thinking about a lot lately is um courts and family services, children who are being removed from the home because you can't pay for your energy bill. Why aren't we talking to those people? Why aren't we making those connections? I think that, yeah, that bigger siloed issue, but also thinking about within our clean energy space, we need to be doing more work with energy efficiency. Solar and energy efficiency should not be two separate things, but they should be hand in hand. And so we don't need silos when it comes to something like that. We need more connection more conversation and, and that's the only way that's the only way in my opinion at least
1: well we're here to talk to you about your opinions and and their well-informed opinions you're you're uh, you're on the ground you know doing the work and talking to the people um, and bringing those perspectives to our listeners so I appreciate that yeah um, gosh where do where do we go from here there's you know sometimes an overwhelming amount of work. How do you know where to focus or where to prioritize, or or how have you made that decision?
0: I have always come back to that initial question of, is it that I'm prioritizing megawatts or am I prioritizing people? And when I keep that particular question in mind, I'm always ready to go full speed on the people piece. It's thinking about, there's a host of issues that an individual encounters. And how am I really centering, centering the person in all of the decisions that I'm making? So, you know, if I could give an example, I'm thinking about a community, um, the Archer Farms community. I have a ton of Florida examples because I love my state, (laughs) but, um, the Archer Farms community, this is a historically black community down here in Florida. And, um, They wanted somebody, there was a deal being made behind the scenes between the county and some other folks um, to build a solar farm just outside of the community. And the people in the community learned about it um, when the notice was posted on a fence, like it was too late, like the deal was clearly being made. And the question was for the community is we like solar, we love solar, but why here? And so for me, that question of megawatts over people is we have to think about what does the community want, what do they need, how do we go about placing solar and keeping them centered before we just dive into just creating megawatts or just kilowatts or however. So it's a
1: good example. I think your concept about building bridges and reaching reaching into the silos and, and talking to the individuals, the people connecting with them. Has not happened, has not happened enough. You know, I myself will say I, I've been really darn siloed into the technology. I've been siloed into not even so much on the policy side. I've been running a business trying to get solar installed. And I'm realizing that um, for the big picture, for what I really want, I probably should have been you know, thinking outside the box and, and trying to develop relationships, talking to people from different backgrounds, people involved in different parts of the policy world, even something as simple as energy efficiency and solar, you know, I, am kind of focused on the solar, but yeah, the megawatts, the uh, LEDs on the ceiling and the air ceiling and the, you know, insulation of the houses quite possibly has a bigger impact on, uh, people's, you know, I guess, their carbon footprint as well as their monthly expenditure. How would you advise folks to educate themselves or to start to reach across? Or is there, Are there resources out there that you might point people towards?
0: Yeah. So I I oversee, in addition with grid alternatives, um, lowincomesolar.org and this website it has a host of information on different states and what they're doing how do you build those bridges and do the partnership work how do you how do you think about inclusive regulatory process and all of these things it's just like a hub of low income resources and access and i think having something like that is super helpful but i've regularly turned to the clean energy states alliance they have so much information and <laughs> I cannot speak more than I can't speak enough good about them but that's just another place I go a lot. Um, just clicking through their website you come across so much.
1: So those are some great resources. We'll have those in the show notes. And so no matter where you're listening, if you're in California, if you're in Nevada, if you're in New Jersey, um, your policy environment and the regulatory stuff going on is probably really different but uh, CESA, Clean Energy States Alliance, uh, is a great organization. Vote Solar is a great organization. And um, it sounds like one of the things that you all are doing at Vote Solar is that you've got an advisory committee trying to help uh, folks as they formulate low-income solar uh, policies or initiatives. Is that something that's really picked up or are people still waiting on the the build back better, you know, initiatives or are some people already taking a lead trying to harness that, that ability of, of solar to be much more than just, uh, you know, a a clean electron.
0: You know, something I think that is actually very admirable about this industry is that they're not waiting for for Build Back Better or the infrastructure money to show up. They're taking action now to make change and to do something for their communities. So the advisory committee, that was really looking at what are the real challenges that a homeowner has when they're trying to put solar on their roof? And or access community solar? And how do we help installers or, yeah, installers, how do we help installers actually fix those challenges? So something like home deferment, like maintenance deferment, right? You can't fix your roof or you need installation. How do we help installers get access to a pot of money that can help them do those repairs so they can put the, the, the solar on the roof and help an individual. So the advisory committee is really laser focused on how do, what are the issues that an individual has and how can we really fix them?
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of our listeners have looked at roofs that are near the end of life and the customer wants solar for a variety of reasons, but suddenly that project you know, doubles in cost because they've got to get a new roof. Um, yeah, those are tough challenges in a lot of ways. One of the things that you said, I want to come back to, I, I should have jumped right on it because it was shocking to me. You said that, uh, children sometimes are being removed from their home because the parents can't keep the utility bills on. Um, you know, that, that might be day-to-day life for folks that are in the social work area or, or dealing with children's services. Um, but that's probably a, a shock to, to many others. Can you tell us more about that? Or, or is that really something that's happening and is solar uh, part of the solution?
0: Yeah, this is something I'm just starting to dig into because I'm really looking at the connections, the intersectionality of all of this. And a friend of mine does some work um, in children's services and you know, she's had some a couple of cases where the parent can't keep the lights on and then it becomes a neglect issue. And it's not that the parent can't keep the lights on because they don't want to, it's because they have other priorities or there's other things they have to think about first. And then getting your lights shut off for maybe one or two days, and then you now have a case where they wanna remove the child. This is something that shouldn't be happening, right? We should have a, a means to help parents pay for their electricity bills, especially if it means keeping their children. But this is something that, Quite honestly, I don't know how deep this runs. I haven't really explored it yet. It's something I want to look into going into this year, but it's something I think that we really have to dig deeper onto how much does energy connect to so many of these other areas and how are we overlooking it or missing it? And not really addressing the the basic needs that folks have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up. You know, uh, they talk about energy burden, and this is a, a you know stat st- statistic. Uh, I think effectively, what percentage of your annual or monthly income do you end up spending on on energy? And for for me personally, as an upper middle class person, it's negligible. It's not a big deal if my electric bill is two hundred dollars or two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, in the the big scheme of my world, that's a small piece. But for folks that are you know at the lower end of the income range, raising kids on you know, even what we consider quote unquote good wages, you know, I'm not sure fifteen dollars an hour is you know well above the minimum wage. But two parents taking home. Uh, you know, fifteen dollars an hour still does not go very far when you're paying for medical bills, uh, groceries, and of course, uh, rent and now electricity. Is that part of the this whole discussion of, of solar and low income families?
0: Absolutely. I think for me, for example, I too now have the privilege of not worrying about energy burden, but growing up there were things my parents chose to do that didn't strike me as we didn't have the money to pay for our electricity bill. It was just, this was things we did in our household. So shutting off every light, or we lived in upstate New York, sometimes not turning on the heat because we couldn't afford to. Those things didn't click to me as a child. But now that I'm older and I understand, those were everyday challenges that my parents had. And they had to make a decision between turning on the heat or making sure there was food on the table. And if we aren't saying that this is the conversation that a lot of households are having, then we are really missing the mark. And it's becoming, it's becoming especially during COVID, more of a conversation um, that families are having.
1: Right. And this circles back to what you, you know, we started the conversation off today talking about trying to broaden the conversation, trying to talk to more people about these issues of energy uh, than we have in the past and like you said in, in Florida trying to get a, a more parties with a stake in the matter at the table when uh these energy policies are being discussed um and it's just that it's it probably does make a much bigger difference to somebody uh if their electric is at 12 cents a kilowatt hour or 8 cents a kilowatt hour how how uh what do they call them the the uh, basically all the fees all the surcharges all the uh these little, I don't know, transmission and distribution riders, they can add up. And even if you're being very conservative and keeping the lights shut off when no one's in the room, you're still paying a lot. Um, And sometimes unfairly, I saw some articles about how, I think it was in Illinois, there's a a case being brought because uh, people in predominantly redlined, historically redlined communities, predominantly low income, predominantly people of color, Uh, have a different rate structure than people out in the suburbs. Um, I mean, this is yet again another maybe less visible issue of systemic racism and systemic policy issues that that are kind of legacy issues that we're going to have to grapple with.
0: And it has to be It has to be an honest conversation that we aren't afraid to have. And that's something I've noticed a lot is hesitancy to have these kinds of conversations that can be transformative and to to be honest about what you have done and what needs to be done to fix it. Um, Rectifying issues like redlining and historical racism is going to take a lot of work and a lot of conversation and interacting with people who we traditionally haven't talked to, you know, translating up this information up the stream is going to be hard. And I think we have to really, really take the time to connect with those who are going to be impacted um, the most.
1: Yeah. And back to it's people, not numbers. It's people, not megawatts. Um, that's that's good good guidance because it's hard. It's It's really hard work. Um, and, and the scale of work uh, ahead of us, no matter where you look and what subject you're, you're, you're focused on, it, it's, it's, uh, it's dubious, not dubious, it's, I don't know, overwhelming. Um, and at the end of the day, it's still all about people. You know, I think that's the piece that can keep policy folks and solar folks and justice folks moving forwards is remembering that at the end of the day, there's that little girl or that little boy that's still going to grow up in a world. And we want to make the world hopefully better than, uh, than it was for, for us and the generation before us. Um, other ideas for, uh, I don't know, keeping, keep, keep moving forwards and and keeping our heads from, uh, from being downtrodden.
0: You know, I think, um, The other thing I always try to do is be clear about what the problem is that I'm looking to solve. It's, again, like that question of people over megawatts. Be clear about what it is we're trying to hit on because we get distracted by so many other things that we forget that, yeah, the goal is people. The goal is, I think of myself. I imagine a smaller version of Olivia who could have used all of these resources and could have benefited from them if she just had access. So I'm very clear about the people and I'm very clear about the problem that I'm trying to solve.
1: Uh, that's good advice because it can be overwhelming, but focus and consistency um, is probably uh, something that I could be better at myself. Um, in your journeys, in your you know policy work and the folks that you're meeting, does anyone or is there any policy or or organization that stands out or even a state or a city that stands out that folks could really benefit from taking a look at uh, maybe hold up as a model or or some initiative hold up as a model?
0: I've been really following lately um, the Colorado just transition um, work that's happening. So they're closing um, down some power plants. And what I'm really fascinated by is how they're going about making a just transition happen. How are they thinking about the community as well as the individual and then the city as a whole? So uh, closing the power plant is going to cause some property, um, some loss to the um, income from the property taxes. I believe that's how you say it. How are you replacing that money that is so critical to the city that they need in order to provide for the schools and do these different operations? So I'm really focusing right now on um on that particular one, just the just transition that's happening.
1: Got it. Got it. So this in this case, just transition is a term being thrown around, and the concept of as I understand it is, okay, we're making a transition from fossil fuels, the old school to solar and wind and storage and smart grid the new school uh, that transitions happening and as it's happening the workers that used to be working in coal or that used to be working at the central fired power plant as well as the tax base that used to depend on on that status quo kind of to take into account the changes that are happening and and do what kind of is this all about retraining is this all about uh, some kind of a, a tapering off of a subsidy payment in lieu of taxes uh, what what are they doing in Colorado that that's seems to be uh, a good model
0: so they're taking right now they're taking recommendations on like how do they actually effectuate like how do they plan, like create this plan of what the just transition is going to look like for the community. And so it's an opportunity to, to say these are the kinds of policies we want to see. We want to see things like full benefits and wages for individuals who could potentially lose their job. And for folks who don't lose their job, how are we helping to make sure that they have the financial support they need or the opportunities for higher education um, to grow with this new technology that we want to bring in? So I think looking at like there's a host of policies and opportunities um, beyond just the individual, like really looking too at the community and how do we put in protections for displaced families to make sure that if plants are closing, are they receiving the support that they need? Is advanced things like advanced notice? Do they have advanced notice that they're going to be con- closing a plant or, or doing things or restoring the land i'm just trying to think of all of the different things that go into just transition and how important it is to think about all of them and what i'm seeing in colorado is they had they had legislation passed that required this thought process to happen and it's happening now and it's going to be so foundational for what we could use for other states. You have states like Pennsylvania and and the app, places in the Appalachian. Like, how do we create a just transition that really thinks about everybody uh, uh, as a whole?
1: Well, it sounds like at the core, it's let's get stakeholders at the table. Let's let's listen. Let's not make policy from the top down. Let's not not make policy from the outside in. Um, but let's start with. You know, dialogue. Let's start with those important conversations. And it's probably going to be different in Pennsylvania than it's going to be in in, in Colorado. That uh, sounds about right. Let's shift a, a little bit to um, to where solar is today, uh, from where it was as little as I don't know five ten years ago. I remember um, solar was on the receiving end of an attack where people were saying solar was uh, something for white, rich suburbanites. And in fact, it was uh, lower income people or the elderly or specifically African Americans that were subsidizing uh, these, you know, rich Tesla driving solar uh, suburbanites. And this was a, uh, an attack wedge issue, you know, coming out of a political playbook. Um, but I saw the billboards and it was ugly. And I think it set our industry back a bit. I don't think any of these campaigns seem to be still going on. Um, but uh, can you speak to that at all? Was there? Was it grounded? Was it groundless? Was there some work that needed to be done?
0: I think conversations like that are intentional to divide and conquer certain populations. Um I, I hate to use Florida again as another example, but right now a bill was submitted to um, our legislature that would basically get rid of net metering. And the way that the utilities are going about having that conversation is to say that a cost shift is happening, that certain pots of customers are subsidizing this group and they're not being honest. And that's the part that's most frustrating is yes, cost shift happens, but cost shift is happening everywhere. And you guys are picking and choosing which cost shifts you're going to promote and say is harmful. So I think it is a very coordinated, very thoughtful, but we've seen it a thousand times kind of effort from these groups. How do we band together and stop this kind of rhetoric from happening? That's that's the question. And the only way it can happen is when we come together as a community and say, you're wrong, you're lying, and this is what we need. I don't know another way, to be quite honest.
1: Wow. Well, the, the bad news is I was wrong, and it is still happening, and it's right there in your backyard. It's it's still a tactic being used to divide and conquer. And the good news is that yeah, we do have truth on our side, and hopefully, um, truth can prevail. So we need a lot of work to to make sure to get the the a, a megaphone at least as loud uh, to shout from the rooftops the truth. Because um, you know, the, the utilities and the fossil fuel industry have pretty loud megaphones. They've got pretty deep war chests to try to promote their agenda. Is it something that, that we should be supporting Vote Solar with? Or are there local organizations that are, are better fit? Should we be getting involved statewide, all of the above?
0: I think it's all of the above. I think it's supporting organizations like Vote Solar, but there's so many community-based organizations that are really vocal about this. And, you know, connecting with us, we would be more than happy to connect folks with, with community organizations that are on the ground and can really address these issues. But yeah, it's going to be all the way from the city to the county, to the state, to federal, that if all, all of these aren't connected... It's, it's going to be difficult to make some change happen well
1: you seem like one of the people out there making those connections and um, vote Solar is a, a great organization that's a repository of information for policy support as well as you know outbound uh, active work uh, taking on uh, I guess some of these these big challenging issues um, Olivia it's great to have you uh, on the show and sharing what Vote Solar and your, your division is, is doing. Um, I'd like to you know, take this down to the personal level and, and just talk more about Olivia for a minute. Um, is there, in your, in your history coming up, is there something that you wanna share with our, our listeners? This is uh, the, the Solar for All Better Together section where uh, you can note and promote a favorite book or author or thought leader and uh, some, some of the wisdom that, that's helped you along the way.
0: So a book I recently did read was, um, it's called Sabrina and Karina. It's by Callie, Callie Farhardo anstein I think I said her name right. But um, it's like it's this really great book. It's got 11 short stories, and it's really focused on the lives of indigenous Latinas, um, of Latin uh, indigenous latinas in colorado and northern new mexico i believe and it's just the way that the book talks about the experience of these individuals um culture um how they have experienced things like violence um and gentrification and abandonment like what it's like to grow up as as a um indigenous, uh, a Latina of indigenous ancestry in that part of the country. So it, it's just a really good book that just talks about, you know, the value and the culture of these individuals and, you know, how they use storytelling um, to pass down these really important um, tales, not tales, but um, stories um, that make that make a difference for them. So it's a really, it's a really good book. I, I recommend it highly. Um, Sabrina and Karina is what it's called.
1: Awesome. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. I'm really curious right now. I'm looking forward to taking a look at that book. Um, and then is there any kind of advice or wisdom that was given to you that you think it would benefit our listeners any, anything you'd like to share in that department?
0: Um, I think like the best thing I've learned is that trust is built, not given. And, you know, even as a person of color, like I've had to learn, like you have to put in the work to build the trust, especially with communities that aren't your own or don't look like you, that regardless of where you come from, you have to put in the time to build the partnership, to build the trust and to earn their respect, as a matter of fact, continue to show up. Um, that's the that's the biggest piece of advice that has really Helped me and created some really valuable relationships um, along the way.
1: Good stuff. Trust is earned, not given. I? That was that the nugget right there. All right. Yes. Super. Super. All right. Well, let's talk music. We also have, in addition to the the Soul for All Better Together section, we've got the Better Together One Plus One playlist, uh, where our guests uh, share uh, diverse pile of songs that's on Spotify and Apple music and, and, uh, all the, the different streaming services. Um, so you get to share two songs, maybe one that's a a go-to all-time favorite or one of your standards, and then something fresh and new that, uh, we're less likely to uh, be familiar with.
0: So I, this work is very difficult and you, you get beat down quite a bit. So I have my favorite song that I regularly listen, regularly listen to it. It's called walking on a dream. Um, It's by empire of the sun and it's just this like electronic song. And it's just really upbeat about like how you just gotta keep going. Like, don't give up, don't stop, just keep moving. But then this other song that I absolutely am obsessed with, um the artist is Tiwa Savage, um and the song is called "Keys to Keys to the kingdom and she's she's a she's a Nigerian singer songwriter, she does a little acting too, so she's like a jack of all trades. but like what's really good is like the song talks about like if you've if you just feel like you've had enough and you're tired, just take a breath, remember who you are. Take a look up at the stars and you will be just fine. And so I think like I need one song to help me keep going and then I need another song to remind me that I can actually do this. So those are my two, walking on a dream and keys, keys to the kingdom.
1: Oh, wow. I love it. I'm I'm stoked to listen. Uh, thanks for sharing those. And thanks again for all the work that you're doing and for being a guest on, on our podcast. Um, I want to also thank our sponsor, Third Sun Solar. Um, if you're in Ohio, go solar with Third Sun. And uh, I want to thank our listeners. Um, people are really, this is a coast to coast show and folks uh, that care about this issue are tuning in. They're educating themselves. They're promoting this. They're sharing this. They're spreading the word. And um, that's what our call to action is: is to please promote the show, share it, give us a thumbs up or a five star review, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. We're all in this journey together. And uh, Olivia, thanks so much for being part of uh, the, the Solar for All family. Welcome to the Solar for All family. We appreciate you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.